Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at your fundraising events. Today's episode is brought to you by yours truly. My name is Danny Hooper, and I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer and the author of a best-selling book called Easy Money, How to Generate Record Profits at Your Next Fundraising Auction Event. You can find it on Amazon by searching Danny Hooper or go to dannyhooper.com. And today's show is also brought to you by Winspire, the industry leader in providing unique, one-of-a-kind consignment travel packages for your fundraising event. These incredible experiences can be used in your live auction. Uh, We use them in silent auctions, as raffle prizes, wherever. And uh, the neat thing is there's absolutely no risk because you only pay for the trips that raise money at your event. So go to winspireme.com to learn more. And last but certainly not least, Events with Benefits is also brought to you by the good folks at Donation Match, your one stop shop for event donations and give back opportunities. Donation Match connects your cause with local and national companies who are willing to donate products or services to your fundraising event and who doesn't want that? Uh, You can sign up for free at donationmatch.com. Well today I'm joined as always by the founder of Donation Match, Renee Zhao. And Renee, it was actually Renee's idea to to start this podcast, so she's kind of at the top of our totem pole. Uh, we got the VIP, or VP, well, he is a VIP, still VIP, yeah. and the VP of fundraising at Winspire, Ian Loft. Well, today's episode uh, was really interesting. Uh, we talked to another auctioneer, and I say another auctioneer because we've interviewed a few benefit auctioneer specials uh, specialists uh, on this podcast, uh, and we the auctioneers are always interesting to talk to because they're the people who are the. The, the feet on the ground. They're right on the front lines and uh, doing all of these events. And uh, they always seem to have uh, unique ideas, interesting stories to share. And uh, today's guest, Stephen Kilbreth from the Seattle uh, market, one of the top auctioneers up in that part of the country, uh, was no exception to that rule. Had some great stories and information to share. Yeah, it's a great point about interviewing auctioneers. I mean, auctioneers, they, they see so many events, right? Especially, you know, in their areas. Uh, so they've seen it all. They've seen what's been tried. They, they've seen what's worked and what hasn't worked, right? And Stephen is a, a great example of, of one of these auctioneers who will come in and, and be a consultant for the nonprofit prior to the event, right? He talks about starting the planning, you know, uh, nine to 12 months out and everything about the auction and the event needs to be planned down to the minute. Um, and, and he brings a lot of ideas and, and concrete examples for for how it can go well. And uh, you know, he he kind of makes this, does this balancing act between what nonprofits want to do and, and what he advises. I know we kind of were a little shocked when we heard that there's some schools in the Seattle area that are doing live auctions with with 30 or more items. Oh, no, no, he said he said like 40, <laughs> 50, yeah. 48 or 50 <laughs> items. I mean, I'm an auctioneer, yeah. and I you know I, I carry a can of a bear spray in my briefcase just in case <laughs> anything ever happens at an auction that I need to kind of get somebody to chill out but i'd be spraying that bear spray myself if i had to auction 50 items and that it was crazy renee yeah well uh you know steven has great solutions for that so you're gonna want to listen to his episode but i also liked um how he talks about timelines and variability in them and the, the banter between you danny and him was actually pretty great all right, let's get started. We say good morning to Stephen Kilbreth from uh, Stephen Kilbreth Auctions and Events up in Seattle. So, Stephen Kilbreth, good to connect with you uh, uh, this time through our podcast. Uh, you and I have met uh, a few times before at the Benefit Auctioneer Summits that uh, are hosted every year. And uh, you're up there in the Seattle market. How you been doing? Uh, not bad. We're doing well. How's it going for you guys? 
Good, good, very well. We're actually very happy. We're just looking at the uh, numbers here today on our podcast and getting lots of traction. And uh, we've had uh, just a whole ton of downloads. And we were kind of interested to see this morning when we were looking at the analytics on it. Uh, our largest market for this podcast is in Japan, of all oh, places. Wow. So, so go figure. I, yeah. I have no idea why that is, but uh, we got a ton of people listening all over. And uh, anyway, it's great to have you on the uh, on the episode here today. Uh, you and I share some uh, uh, common background. Uh, we both come out of the radio business, out of the media business, and uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about your history, your background, your career, and uh, how you found your way into the nonprofit space as one of the top uh, fundraising auctioneers, benefit auctioneers in North America. Well, I mean, I have a first question for you is, have you done any events in Japan? No, but I'm thinking uh, we've got a lot of people listening, so one of, these days, one of these days we may get a call. So. <laughs> I know you've got a lot of, uh, done a lot of events uh, probably around the world, so that, I just was wondering about that. But, yeah, no, my uh, background, uh, I was in, uh, in media. I've been in, uh, was in radio uh, for quite a long time. In fact, I started on the radio when I was 16, and when I was – Five and seven years old, I would be reading uh, the newspaper and uh, into a into a tape deck, uh, and uh, you can Google that if you're young enough and you don't know what a tape deck is. But I would record into that, and so I always wanted to be on the radio. In fact, I really wanted to be uh, Dick Clark. Uh, in today's terms, I tell people I wanted to be, you know, like uh, the the game show host or something along those lines. But that's really where I wanted to be. And uh, so I started on the radio, and I ended up working on uh, morning shows in Seattle. I was on a you know top-rated morning show for 13 years, and uh, you know did another one five years after that for another station. Uh, I worked on a, on a hip-hop station. I worked on a country station. I worked on all of this kind of stuff. But all the time while I was on the radio, I was also doing uh, auctions. Um, a uh, girlfriend at the time in the early 90s was working for. Uh, one of the premier uh, benefit auctioneers, kind of one of the guys who started it, named Kip Toner in Seattle. And I, you know, uh, I, he knew me and said, hey, you're on the radio. Uh, I need you to do an auction for me. And so I did it, and I just fell in love with, uh, with the auctions. And as you know, Danny, it's kind of like being on the radio. You're kind of there without a net. You have to uh, entertain. You have to, uh, um, you know, and you can't let people down. And so it's, it's kind of that kind of intense feeling, uh, the same thing of being on the radio. So I do think that that experience does bode well for us when we uh, end up doing auctions. I've always told my clients, you know, you need to concentrate on three E's uh, uh, if you want to have a successful fundraising event. And those three E's are, number one, you need to entertain your audience, you need to engage them, and then finally you need to be able to extract as much money as possible. And uh, I, clearly that's, uh, that's something you bring to the table. So uh, now you're up there in the Seattle market. That is a very competitive market, and we've got some real heavy hitters uh, in the nonprofit space, uh, when it comes to fundraising auctioneers, uh, how do you, how do you compete up there? Well, that's a, that's a great question. It's not the, uh, you know, I think, uh, and you guys may know this information more than I do, but from what I'm told, there's more auctions in Seattle than, uh, in any other market out there, uh, which means there's more auctioneers in Seattle than there are in, in any other market. I mean, right now, I, I believe there are probably 15 to 20, um, auctioneers that are probably doing 25 or more events. I mean, our group does 50 events a year uh, in Seattle. I mean, some of my events are in Portland and in other in other cities in the area. But 
but that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of events. I mean, we're all working and we're all busy every every weekend and Thursdays, Fridays, Saturday nights and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, how do you stay relevant? I think it's just one of the things that you mentioned was just just the style that we have. You know, most most of uh, I don't do cattle auctions. I don't do car auctions. I don't do, you know, estate auctions or those kind of things. And so it's all just in the benefit auction world. And that's, uh, I think, the focus on that. And I do think one of the reasons why uh, most of my clients would say that they use me, and, and maybe this is probably the way other people feel as well, is that they enjoy working with me. They like my demeanor. They like my personality. They like how you know I deal with the clients. And most important, they like how I deal with the guests uh, night of the auction. One of the E's you mentioned, engage. I think that's uh, probably one of the most important because if you can engage with everybody in the audience, you're able, you're going to be able to use the thirty extract more money from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what are some of the questions that uh, that a nonprofit organization should be asking uh, an auctioneer when they are looking at hiring an auctioneer? And I say hire because it is very important. Uh, this is something we run into all the time, and I, I know you hear it. You know, uh, people call the office and they say, "But we're a charity." Um, you know, we tell all of our clients, "You need to stop thinking like a charity. You need to start thinking like a business, and you need a specialized auctioneer to come in and do your event." And let's just talk very quickly, Stephen, about some of the differences between a benefit auctioneer specialist and another auctioneer, perhaps an auto auctioneer, livestock auctioneer, antique auctioneer, who may be willing to donate their time? Well, what I usually tell people is that, you know, there there are people who will say, well, you know, the the dad of the uh, fourth grade parent did the auction last year, or, you know, the woman who's the president of the PTA did the auction last year. And it's like, you know, they may have done a great job. You know, I'm not going to discount the job that they do. I said the, the difference is is where is is the consulting that we do be leading up to your auction, and then the night of the auction, I can guarantee you we're not going to be leaving money on the table. And I'm sure that the other folks end up leaving money on the table because they're not skilled and they're not trained in doing those kind of auctions. So where you can have a free auctioneer that does a you know an adequate job, uh, you you you're you're going to be leaving money on the table. I think there's just little differences that that you and I have and other auctioneers have where we're able to uh, we're able to get you know the extra one or two or three hundred dollars or one or two thousand dollars or whatever it is on an item uh, from somebody in the crowd that the other person isn't going to be able to do we're able to uh, use some techniques to get more money in a uh, fund a need or special appeal or whatever it is uh, night of the event and there's there's just and, and if you add all of that up with every item and with the fund to need, it certainly covers any any fee that you're going to be paying for an auctioneer. I mean, you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to see the results immediately, and you're going to, um, you know, any fee that any auctioneer charges, and there it runs the gamut. You're going to make that money back two, three, four, fivefold in just some of the little nuances and during the night of, but also because of all of the ideas that we're going to have during the consulting period. Stephen, I want to come back in a couple of minutes and we'll talk about some of the specific techniques that you use to extract those extra dollars out of the room. But first of all, I want to ask you, how do you go about explaining to your clients that there is always more money in the room than what they anticipate or than what they expect? Well, the the thing about it is, is everybody who's there at your event wants to support your group. They 
they are there because they uh, not only do they like if you're an executive director, not only do they love you or you're on the board of something, they love you, but they also love the organization. So, so you have the opportunity to collect money from them. And I think uh, you're asking, I, I don't remember the uh, exact question, uh, but if it's how, how do we, how do I can, how do I let them know that we are going to get more money out of the room? It's just, I think it's just because they, they want to be there and they want to spend money. So we're going to work together with the group to work on different ideas on how to get money. I mean, how do we get money out of your, out of your big donors? But, but that's not, that's not the, that's the easiest part is getting money out of the big donors because we know they have the money to spend. It's how to get money out of the donors who are maybe your hundred or $250 donors. How do we boost them up just one level? How do we get, you know, an extra hundred dollars out of somebody or an extra $50 out of somebody? And we have, we really have to work hard because uh, as an auctioneer and as a consultant, we need to know your crowd and know, um, we don't necessarily need to know who's in the room, but we certainly need to know uh, what, um, what their spending capacity is and, and how we're and kind of the different ideas on how to get more money uh, out of the room. I'm not sure I answered that the way you asked it, but, you know, sometimes, that, sometimes <laughs> well, that's it how probably, it goes, you know. I don't know. That's all right, Stephen. It's probably a poorly worded question, but my question was how do you explain to your, <laughs> how do you explain to your clients that there's always more money in the room than what they expect? And where the question comes from, I find with my clients, uh, if, you know, often they tend to shortchange themselves uh, and and they expect to make less than than what they can make. And one of the exercises I take my clients through that has really been useful is I have them take a look at last year's auction results, and we know how much they earned in the live auction. But let's take a look at the second high bidders, uh, the people who were right. bidding on items but didn't didn't make the purchase. Uh, so, for example, if an item sells in a live auction, you're selling a trip, and it sells for five thousand dollars. Your second high bidder is on at $4,500. Well, that's $4,500 that that person had their hand in the air a moment earlier. They're willing to spend that money with your organization. But uh, if you only had the one trip to sell, for example, they weren't able to spend that $4,500. So, you know, and I'll, as part of this exercise, I'll, I'll, I'll multiply that and say, now let's just multiply that money times the number of live auctions that you had. So, you know, just for illustration's sake, we take 4,500 times 10, that's $45,000. Where does that money go? And, you know, often my people, you know, my clients will say, well, they'll spend that money on the silent auction or they'll spend that, you know, not necessarily. No. And the second part of that exercise is really effective, too, is to have them take a look at last year's silent auction. Uh, they know how much they made, but how much didn't they make? And go back to all those silent auction bid sheets and add up those second high bids and just see how much money was left on the table. So that's where, you know, as benefit auction specialists, we bring a number of techniques and strategies, uh, t tools and tricks of the trade to the table. Let's talk about some of the uh, strategies and techniques that you use. Yeah. No, I think that that's, um, that's I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, that's, a, that's uh, you know, what I, what I like to tell people is that we have, um, you know, we have, Say I know in I know in in Seattle we have auctions that have like 50 items. Still, we we do that, and I know people across the country kind of go what, you know, because because I know a lot of the people in the other parts of the country are doing like 10 or nine item auctions. I mean, this one I did Saturday night, you know, we had over 30 items, but the one like I did the weekend before only live had, auction. I know, I know, wow. but that's. Uh, you know, these are the these are some of these schools that that continue continue to do that. And what I look at, and Danny, I know people across the country. When I've talked about this, they kind of freak out by those numbers. 
but we are still making like near the end of the auction, like 200% of the value or something like that. And it's, so it's hard to argue with them that we shouldn't be doing it when we're still making that much money on these live auction items. Let but me those ask percentages, you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just, I've got to ask you, uh, you know, uh, how do you hold an audience's attention? How long for, does that take? For 30, for the, uh, for the yeah, that's, a couple, that's another good question, Ian. How long does it take for you to sell 30 items, and how do you hold the audience's attention for that long? Because my experience is by the time you hit 10 or 12 items, you know, they've heard enough of the auctioneer chant, and uh, the table chatter starts up, and it can sometimes become an issue. So how do you deal with that, Stephen? Well, I would say when we do these auctions, the table chatter remains the same throughout the whole the whole night. I mean, it doesn't really... It doesn't really ramp up. And, and like I said, you know, we, we, the one thing I look at is I, I did one the other night that was 48 items. And we had, uh, what, we, what I did was I said, I said, that's way too many, way, way, way too many. But I look, so I keep a chart year to year of the clients that I do. And I, I, and I can see, like I just said, you know, we're still selling items for 200% of value. It's like, so it's hard to argue not to do it, right? Because you're still making so much money on these items. Um, but, you know, you just, to keep people's attention, you know, on a 48-item auction or a 30-item auction, we're probably doing two minutes per item. So we're getting right into it. We're not, um, you know, we're, we're doing more of the, uh, um, you know, just just doing it quick. And the audience in some of these auctions are trained that, you know, you got to be quick to get those to get those paddles up for, for an item. I don't recommend doing that many items. Please believe me that when I'm in a consulting meeting, I'm not saying we should need to do 48 items. I'm not saying we need to do 30 items. I'm not, you know, I'm usually saying, you know, 10 to 15 is probably probably what we should do, but uh, or or even less than that. But how do you keep the attention of them? You know, I think there's uh, we, we when I first started, we would never we would do when I first started, we would do auctions that had even more than 50 items. They would go on forever. They would go on for like three hours or something like that. Yeah. We were doing auctions here um, for some of these art organizations in the Seattle area. And then things kind of pared down and backed off because people were getting really tired of those kind of things and just like sitting there all night and being bored. But 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 when when I first started in this business, we would say once we started, we never stopped for anything. One of the things you can do is you can intersperse your activities uh, in the auction, which I know goes against everything that we believe in. But but there are things where you can stop down and then it gathers everybody's attention again. You know, so what you do is you you bring the focus back to the middle of the room or the you know if you're in the round to bring it back to the middle of the room or the stage. And then you go back out and then you do another, you know, 10 items or something like that. And then, you know, it ramps back up and then you bring their attention back. So, you know, while I don't recommend doing it that way, that, that is one of the ways that we bring back uh, people in um, when, when an auction is, is long like that, for sure. So, Stephen, what might some of those activities uh, be that you would intersperse uh, through the live auction? Well, we, you know, um, well, for example, when you do an eight-item auction, where do you place the raise the special appeal or the fund to need? Uh, we increasingly are encouraging them to do the uh, special appeal or the fund to need before the live auction now. Okay, so you you do it at well, yes. So I've heard that, or I've heard you do it at the end when you do that. So when you have a longer auction, we're doing it kind of in the middle, and then you you have desserts later on, or you have. Um, the one I did the other night where I said it was 48 items, 
we did the heads or tails at like item number eight or something like that. I don't remember exactly when it was. And then there's restaurant frenzies. Or then, you know, if there's theme nights, I like to do, and granted, it was just one auction that was 48 items. It's, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like they're all that way. Uh, and the one last night or Saturday night was, I think, 29 or 30. Most of them are lower than that. So don't think that this is all that I'm doing. But, yeah. but I think that there's, you know. Because I'm going to come but, up there to Seattle and stop you. <laughs> just because you're my friend but, well i would <laughs> i don't want you to have to go through that <laughs> b- believe me the 29 item auction saturday night it was uh, you know it, it takes a lot out of you there's no question about that but but the majority of them are much lower than that so don't get me wrong that, that, that that's what we're doing but i know if you talk to uh, i know you know um you know a lot of the other auctioneers up here and i would say that most a lot of them would say that they're doing uh, auctions that are that long they're just probably uh they're just probably too embarrassed to tell you that so yeah, but but we but we you know we have a theme. Uh, one of the auctions we did had a rock and roll theme, and everybody was dressed up. So about every fifth or sixth item, um, you know, I said, "Hey, all of the all of the people dressed up in Guns N' Roses, come on up here." And we had them all come up on stage, and everybody was taking pictures of them. And then you know, it's all the ACDC people come on up, and then we took a picture and <laughs> we played music, and so we incorporate music into a lot of the events in that sense as well. So. Um, you know, I think that there's, you can, you have to be really creative on something like that to, uh, to come up with, uh, different ideas to kind of bring the attention back and to keep people engaged. I uh, just want to talk about your marketplace up there. It has been said, uh, that the Seattle area has probably more nonprofit or fundraising auctions a year than anywhere else in the country. Um, how do you keep things fresh? Are you uh, what are you experiencing up there? What's what are the trends? Are people starting to get a little uh, fatigued from all these auctions? How do you how do you continue to sell tickets to all these events? Uh, are people still engaging at the same level as what you've seen in previous years? Do you get a sense maybe things are tapering off, or what's going on? Well, it's surprising. I mean, the money uh, continues to grow year to year on all of the events we do. Um, what, is there fatigue? Uh, as I see many of the same people out of a lot of events each year, uh, you know, that could be. But I will say that it's the model that works. I mean, they, they're going to make more money, you know, doing a professional auction than most anything else that they, that they can do. You know, I know that there's groups that have done, you know, just the breakfast where they're doing an ask and they bring in the money, but, but the people would rather have the party. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, that's how it's presented. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a party for this group, you know? And so, um, it's, it's not, it's not the old, I mean, some events are, you know, you know, wear a tux and wear a ball gown and things like that, but more and more people are doing, you know, here's, here's the party. And I do think that, and, uh, this is with consulting with people kind of going back on our last point is we're telling people less, less, less is more. So even less silent auction, less, all of this, you know, it increases the ability for people to spend more money in a special appeal. And then you kind of have to pare down your event to uh, be targeting what kind of group you want. I know a lot of groups that are doing a couple of different events, one that targets a younger demo, one that targets an older demo, one that targets the big money demo, one that targets the, the donors we're trying to cultivate, you know, things like that. So you, you have to kind of target your event as to, uh, as to what it is. Are we, um, is it, uh, is it all encompassing? Is it an umbrella event where we are trying to get everybody in on the same thing, but really not all of your guests and not all of your donors like the same kind of event. So you have to, I think that's, that's the one thing that we're seeing is that some people are doing, uh, you know, one or more events just to, um, 
uh, try to target the certain demographics that they're looking for. Uh, what about weeknight events? Are you starting to see a shift, uh, people moving away from the weekends and starting to hold their events on, say, Wednesday or Thursday nights to free up uh, those weekends? Yeah, so I say to everybody that Thursday is the new Friday, for sure. There's no, I mean, I do more on Thursday than I do on Fridays. Thursday is is a really big event night here for um, the Seattle area. And, um, you know, why is that? I, I mean, our venues, I think venues are catching on and they're probably starting to charge the same rates as they are on weekends. Uh, and I think that people, uh, because like I mentioned, uh, so many people I see at the same events. So there's, there's um, you know, you see the same families. In fact, I go to events and there, you know, people will say, and they, you probably get the same thing. It's like, oh no, it's you again, which means I'm going to spend more than I wanted to tonight. <laughs> so those are, you know, and that's a great compliment actually. But, but what we, uh, so, so, I think a lot of groups are saying, let's not, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but let's not ruin somebody's weekend. Let's do it on a Thursday night and see, you know, but again, you have to plan a different event for a Thursday night than you would a Saturday night. It's a different kind of a feel. And how would you consult uh, one of your clients on that? How's that Thursday night going to look different? Well, your timeline is going to be different because people are going to be later, so your doors open are a little bit later, and I think that you want to be done. Uh, you don't want to drag on the night. You want to be really, and, and I would say this even if it was a Saturday, but you really have to focus on it when it's a Thursday. You have to be mindful of everything that you're doing. You have to, everything has to be, you know, nobody needs to know the timeline except, you know, myself and the person in charge of the auction. But what you want is it, it needs to be uh, really nailed down into, okay, we need to do, the, here's all of the elements we need to do. Where are we going to do them in a timely fashion to, to uh, expect a late arriving crowd and expect people to want to leave early? I mean, if, if it's on a Thursday night, people want to leave early so they can see scandal, you know, something like that. So we need to get them out the door quick enough. All right, very good. Um, we're going to circle back here and, and talk about something that you've uh, been referencing, and that is your special appeal, also known as a paddle raise, fund a need, uh, cash appeal, uh, whatever name they go by, but this very simply is where we go to the audience and we ask for pure and straight cash donations. And this uh, often appeals uh, to people that, you know, maybe already have enough stuff and aren't interested in participating in that live auction or silent auction, not to say that you don't need the silent or live auction you know i always tell my clients you've got a room full of fish there and some are minnows and some are are whoppers and some are whales and your whales are the ones maybe going to participate at uh, in your live auction and and maybe at the high end of your special appeal or cash appeal and your little minnows are going to be you know the folks that maybe want to participate in in the silent auction you have to offer something for everybody but let's drill down for a minute here and take a look at how you conduct the special appeal because this is the fastest growing uh, trend in nonprofit uh, auction events going to the people just asking for the money so how do you set yours up right well, and, and in, in Seattle, we've, you know, I've never, I've been doing auctions since the early 90s, and I, I can only think of one event where we did not do a fund-a-need special appeal thing. And, um, you know, it, it, it is so important to, to do that. And actually, I said, well, you know, I, don't, I didn't understand why they didn't want to do it. It just, it didn't make any sense to me as to why you wouldn't want to ask your guests to donate for a certain cause at your event. And, um, you know, they told me, they said, if you do it, you know, you'll never be uh, doing an auction for us again. And so I took that as, okay, I better not do it. But 
you know the the next year by the way they did do it so uh but but i don't uh i think it's the it is the most important part because like you just said it 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 lets everybody in the room have the opportunity to donate for the cause because that's what everybody's there and the trend as you were mentioning is you know less live auction items less silent auction items so we do have to have the opportunity for everybody at every level be able to uh donate to the group and so what what I do with people is I look at their, uh, you know, typically most of my business is repeat clients. So I have uh, statistical data from year to year as to how many people donated at each level. And so what we do is, for example, if we had, you know, eight people at $1,000 last year, you know, what are we going to do to get a 10th person this year or, or 10 people to get to $1,000? So I ask the clients to say, what's your goal and how are we going to get there? If a client's goal says, well, we want $100,000 and raise the paddle, and the highest donation they had the previous year was you know, $5,000, it's going to be very hard to get there. So, so we kind of uh, manage expectations, and what we do is we just look at all of these different levels as to how we're going to get there. And a lot of times, um, like, and for some reason, the only one I can remember is the one I did most recently, which was Saturday night. We had a... Um, we had a match at the $10,000 level. And so I said, well, don't, I don't want anything to do with the match until we ask for it first. So um, what, I, what, we, what we don't want is to say, oh, we have, uh, we have an anonymous donor who's donated $10,000. That may give your big fish uh, the chance to say, well, apparently they already have $10,000, so they don't need my $10,000. So I asked the room for $10,000 first. They'd never had a $10,000 donor. In fact, they, they had never had... They wanted to do a $7,500 level. They had never had a $7,500 donor either. But because of the way we did it, we asked, we asked for it first before bringing in the anonymous donors. We had an anonymous donor at each level. Um, you know, we were able to get like at $10,000, I believe we got uh, two, which they'd never had before. And then we brought in the anonymous donor, so we were already at 30000 At 7500 you know, I think we got like four or five people before we brought in the anonymous donor. And I think where that helps is, is possibly um, the $7,500 donors, you know, you don't want them to think, okay, I, you, they're doing so well, they don't, you know, maybe I'll just give $5,000. So it's giving people the opportunity to give before you throw in the, uh, the matches or the anonymous donors or things like that. But I do think it's important to know um, kind of the historical data, if it's a first-time client, of how many people they typically get at each level. And then, you know, for them to at least call the, or, or to notify the, the first, you know, the top 10, 15, 20% of those donors and kind of get a feel for where they're going to be this year. Okay. Stephen, I'm just going to uh, step back here and uh, role play a little. Now, suppose I'm a, I'm a, a new client calling. Uh, we've never done a special appeal or fund a need or paddle raise. Just can you quickly explain to me, I'm, like I say, new client, you're explaining it to me. How are we going to set it up? Do we need bid card numbers? How are we going to call the, uh, do we start high and come down in our ask or just uh, walk me through it? Okay, so the special appeal or raise the paddle, fund a need, whatever, is um, some, uh, it's a chance for your guests at your organization to donate directly to um, the cause of what you're raising money for. Now, I would suggest that you have a, a specific need, which is why it's called a fund a need or a special appeal, a specific need so people can quantify their donations. If I'm a, and, I, and this is, by the way, overarching how I look at everything in this business, is what, what I would feel like as a guest at your event. 
how, how would it play out for me if I was a guest at your event? If I'm a guest at your event and you tell me, okay, our goal tonight is to raise $100,000 just right now in our Raise the Paddle and Special Appeal, here's what that money is going to go to. This money is going to go to uh, put hosp- new hospital beds in every room in our hospital, just for example. You know, and, and so I say, great. Okay, now we have to break that down even further. If you donated $10,000, um, you know, may, maybe one bed is $1,000, just for the point of the conversation. If you donated $10,000, that's 10 beds in this hospital that you're putting in. In my mind, I can say, wow, that's awesome. Ten of these new beds in the hospital are going to be because of my donation here tonight. And then I, we're able to quantify the donation. You know, if, it, it, it's much harder when you are doing a special appeal, in my opinion, if it's just, if there's nothing attached to it, if you just say, um, you know, we're just paying for salaries or we're doing, you know, it's just going into the general fund. It's harder to do because uh, it's harder to get that emotional pull from somebody. So when you do, you raise the paddle, since you're doing it for the first time, uh, we usually have a speaker I prefer speakers over videos. A lot of people do videos. The video has to be very compelling because you have to be able to pull the heartstrings on people and get them compelled to donate. A speaker can do that, but if your speaker isn't very good, then a video is better than that. So you need something at the beginning of this portion of the program to compel people to want to want to donate. And then we go down each level. I start high. I think most people start high at the highest level of where we think we're going to get somebody. So if you, the client, tells me, well, we know we have a, we have a, um, uh, a $10,000 donor, you know, we may start a level higher than that uh, and then um, go to the 10000 or we'll start at 10000 and we'll go what they call fishing first to try and find somebody that, that may want to go higher than that, but knowing that we have the $10,000. And fishing is just saying, hey, you know, we, what we... Uh, is there somebody in the room that, that uh, wants to fund all of the hospital beds for $100,000? I mean, we know that's not going to happen, but, uh, you know, if we don't ask, uh, you know, but we, we don't know, know for sure. You know, we, we don't we, know. You never sure. know, and that's the point, you know, everybody needs to understand because you've seen it and I've seen it where you make course, that ask yeah. and somebody will put their hand up. Right, right. So, and that's, and that's why we do it is, you know, you not, uh, I mean, there are, there are times where, you know, the, the fishing project is is a lot larger than than we're expecting, but but again, like Danny said, if you don't ask, you're not you're certainly not going to get it. So so, but then you then you come back down and you do you know your ten thousand dollar level and you do all of the all of the levels down to um, you know depending on the group, uh, there are some groups I stop at two hundred and fifty dollars, and there's some groups we stop at a hundred, and there's you know this this preschool that I do where we stop at twenty five dollars, you know so. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, you stop where you feel you're going to get the, um, you know, you don't want to go so low. And, and I think if you do stop at, say, $100 or $50 or $250, you, you let, and then I let the crowd know, okay, this is our last level that we're doing tonight, just so they know uh, that they're, you know, if somebody wanted to get $50, that, you know, this is the last one. But then, you know, I think everybody everybody's given the opportunity. I mean, there are times where clients will, will ask me, they'll say, well, 
you know, we had somebody come up at the end of the night and say they wanted to give $25, but you never asked for it. And I'm like, well, they're still more than welcome to give it. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You know. That's where I think it's always, you know, uh, often, not always, often a good idea to have the donation uh, cards on the tables. And then once we've gone through the cash appeal, collected those larger amounts for that small stuff, you can refer people to the to the cards on the table. And those cards work as well, too, for uh, donors that just want to give anonymously and, and don't want to be seen putting their bid card up and making a cash donation. So sometimes right. that works. Right, yeah. No, that's a, great, that's a great idea, too. So, yeah, and then, then I think that that's the, you know, and there's, there's lots of things that in, in, within, the, uh, within the raise the paddle that I know um, that we do at some events. And, and, uh, and again, but I think it's all, as a first-time client in raise the paddle, it's all about... Uh, strategically planning it. You know, I want to know what you're doing, how you're asking for the money, what the money is going for, your historical, you know, where, where are we, how are we going to get to your goal? And uh, I think in the room, like when I said, you know, we had eight people at a thousand last year and we need 10 this year, I might even say, you know, our goal to reach our goal this year, we need two more people at a thousand dollars. So, you know, you don't want to do that every level because then it becomes kind of salesman-y, but, but you have to, um, uh, you know, if if you kind of make things a game or a competition, or knowing that we're going to, um, you know, if we just get you know two more to thousand dollars, we're at our goal tonight. Look at that! Oh, there's one there, and there's another one, and we've got it. You know, yeah. those kind of things. And then you know, there's I think that it's, um, uh, and like I said, you don't want to do that at every level, and and uh, you want to, but but it's all everything we do. When you're meeting with clients, when I'm meeting with everybody, is is all of these ideas and everything that we come up with is is the whole goal is to uh, get extra money out of your guests for sure. Right. Um, Want to talk to you before we cut you loose here. Um, you have a lot of expertise around timelines and and creating timelines in in preparation for an event. Uh, I know a question that we're often asked uh, when people call my office is is how much time do we need to plan our event and how do you answer that? Well, I, I, you know, my timeline starts from a year out uh, that I have. I have an auction planning timeline that I send to uh, um, clients and that, uh, you know, and it's actually on my website and, and we actually did a series of videos on the timeline and things like that and that's all on the website. But uh, and it, my timeline starts 12, 12 months out. However, I mean, I know people that, I mean, I'm already booked for April of 2000 or uh, April of 2019. I'm not sure when this is airing, so maybe... You have to cut that. This part show out, may never air, Stephen. This, yeah, well. this episode may never hit the the universe. Yeah, it. it uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, we'll we'll see. You know, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but thanks for you, joining us anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you just you just do this for your own entertainment. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know, I have people that have booked eighteen months out. You know, uh, because venues um, and if you're a, a big group that does a big gala you 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 know your the number of of venues goes down and the number of auctioneers that that can do an event like that uh, is certainly limited as well so they they do you know it's probably um 18 months out where they're booking auctioneers and when they're booking um uh venues and things like that not everybody does that but so you know, I did an event once where they called me um, and said, "Yeah, we're, we have our place booked, and our auction is in uh, uh, is in four weeks, and we haven't, uh, you know, and tell us what we need to do." And I was like, yeah. "Okay." 
that's great. So I've done it that way, but you know, I don't recommend doing four weeks for an auction, but there's, there's just so many things that, that need to be, that need to be thought of. And it, it does, it, it is, it is probably better to have, I know some clients have a spreadsheet of things that they're following. You know, they have dates that they follow along of all of the things that they need to get done. So, um, specifically, um, you know, if you're doing it year to year events, um, not that they kind of work themselves out, but but it becomes easier as time goes on. Uh, for those schools that have different PTA people every year involved in the school, my recommendation to you would be to keep a book of all of your vendors, all of your information that you need, all of the um, contacts, and and just all of like a an, an auction. Bible, if you will, that has all of the details, you know, those little tabs in it that say, okay, what do we do, you know, and all of that, because I've, I've talked to a lot of school groups where they're like, okay, uh, yeah, the previous chairs, co-chairs didn't leave any information for us, and there's no details on anything. So it's certainly helpful. It makes it a lot easier uh, when you have the infrastructure set up to be able to go year to year doing events. And then, you know, I think you, you, um, I don't know if you want me to go through a timeline information, but I, well, but I do think that... i tell you what, what we'll probably do, uh, Stephen, just uh, because of time uh, re- restraints here, is uh, if, if you perhaps could uh, offer our listeners a copy of that timeline, we can just put that in the show notes here with the podcast and uh, they'll be able to uh, download that. Um, would you be willing to do that? Uh, of course, yeah. No, any... Anybody who wants it, that's fine. So that's just something they uh, I'll send to you guys, and we can uh, just download it and um, and look at it. If you uh, don't want to do that, you can uh, you know go to my website as well if you want to do that. Okay, very good. Now, if people are interested in contacting you, you travel all across North America, and uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, we have a huge number of listeners of this podcast over in Japan. So if somebody <laughs> calls from Japan, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yes, I, you know, I may be, have a language barrier doing events there, but other than that, I think that, uh, I would, you know, I would love the opportunity. So, um, we have my, my, uh, phone, uh, my ad email web, uh, website, website. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying it. Website is your benefit auction.com. Y O U R B E N E F I T A U C T I O N your benefit auction.com. Um, you know, if you want to call me, 206-963-7148, and then the email address is Stephen, and it's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, and then at yourbenefitauction.com. All right, very good. Well, don't let the language barrier thing get in the way. I've got to tell you a very quick story. I got hired a couple of years ago by a Korean cultural society to do an auction, and they'd never had a fundraising auction, but they heard that I made a lot of money, and and in the community for nonprofits, so they hired me, and they had an interpreter, and they had an elderly woman. She had to be close to eighty years old, and she was translating my auction. If you can imagine that, oh, true story. So I slowed everything down. Instead of doing the regular auction chant, I was simply saying twenty-five, twenty-five, twenty-five. Now thirty, thirty, thirty. Would you go thirty? Now thirty-five. And I'd stop, and she'd go bing, 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 whatever. And then I'd continue. Well, at the end of the night, we made forty-eight thousand five hundred dollars. So they were thrilled, and uh, it worked out all right. So I guess uh, if we do get a call from from Japan, Stephen, we can always find a translator. That's awesome. I love that. That's a great story. So, uh, yeah, no, we, uh, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, and uh, Danny, we'll travel anywhere, right? So we, uh, you know, 
bring us in. And one thing we know is when we get there, we will raise your group uh, a lot of money and, uh, you know, uh, more than more than they have in the past. So that's uh, that's what we're here for. All right, Stephen, it's been a real pleasure chat, chatting with you here this morning. And uh, I only get to see you once a year at the Benefit Auctioneer uh, Summit uh, that is held annually. But uh, if I do get up to uh, Seattle, I'll be sure to look you up. We'll go have a craft beer. All right, that sounds good. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining us on Events with Benefits. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>